Yo, this is Greg Capullo, man, and you're listening to Elegant Weapon. And you know who the biggest elegant weapon is? I can't tell you where it's located, but it's uh, got something to do with me. An elegant weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. An elegant weapon for the more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 205. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi Ross. It is wonderful to be here again with you kids in the L5J studios. Uh, welcome, hello to all you wonderful people. Uh, trying something a little new this week. Uh, we're on Facebook Live at the moment. So anybody watching on uh, Facebook Live, hello, hi, how are you? And uh, welcome to the show. I thought we'd have a little fun doing this tonight. So, uh, this is the intro for episode 205 of An Elegant Weapon. For anybody who's new to this show, my name's Jay, and I talk to people. And recently, I've been talking to a lot of Star Wars people. We've been on a hell of a Star Wars run. Julian Glover, Tim Rose, Ray Park. Uh, Last week, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode uh tom kane yoda himself of the voice of and uh general grievous mr matthew wood and that rounded out our adventures from the great philadelphia comic-con uh what a hell of a good time one last thanks to chris and carla wurtz for uh letting us come be a part of such an amazing party it was an absolute honor to moderate uh, your panels for the weekend and we hope to come back next year and have another blast with the points of interest podcast network now Got a little pimping I'm going to do tonight, okay? As always, tends to go down in podcast land, uh, especially when you're a comic book podcast. Uh, Kickstarters, 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 and more Kickstarters. Uh, I want to talk to you about two Kickstarters that are happening right now. One is uh, is homegrown. Uh, it's The First Hero, Wednesday's Child, by Mr. Anthony Rutgazer. Uh, the First Hero is part of Action Lab Comics. Uh, I don't know if you guys all just got your read on with the action verse, but uh, it was a super cool crossover that Action Lab did with all their books, of course, involving the first hero. Uh, the for- first hero, of course, is continuing on, but uh, in order to do that, they need your help, uh, as these uh, independent creator-owned people usually do. Uh, this one, Anthony Rutgazer, is a very good friend, and he's a hell of a writer, a hell of a talented guy. Um, now, you need to go to Kickstarter, check out the first hero, Wednesday's Child, mainly because of one of the rewards that was just added to the project. Now, check this out. For $600, you will receive Ty Templeton's original 8.5 by 11-inch pencil, pencil and ink layout drawing for his Actionverse number one variant cover, plus... Yes, that's right. There's a plus on top of Ty Templeton original art. Uh, the plus is you get to appear. Uh, you get a cameo role in issue for yourself. Uh, that is uh, one hell of a deal. Uh, if you have not seen Ty Templeton's original inks and pencils for this, you need to go to the Kickstarter and you need to check it out because it's absolutely phenomenal work as we would expect from Mr. Templeton. So uh, go check that out. And uh, even if you can't drop the six bills on uh, on some original art, there are tons of uh, other cool rewards for you to get involved with. If you haven't checked out The First Hero, uh, go to thefirsthero.com and you can uh, check out some of the uh, 
earlier issues in the earlier volumes, but it's a super cool story. It's about a superhero. Uh, well, actually, it's about a world. Uh, if you get superpowers, you go insane, and it's as simple as that. And then there's one man, Mr. Jake Roth, uh, who manages not to go insane and somehow, uh, you know, starts pulling things together. So if that sounds cool, it's a unique take on the superhero myth, you should check it out. Indeed, that is The First Hero, Wednesday's Child by Anthony Radgazer on Kickstarter now. Uh, sorry, weird. My eyes are kind of moving around because they're like going to my phone because I'm not used to like looking at the phone or looking at anything really while I'm blabbering on like this. Uh, another Kickstarter we're going to talk about is one of the most uh, unique <clears throat> usages of Kickstarter, shall we say, that I've ever seen. And uh, it's Mr. Josh Dahl and uh, Sean Langley over on uh, Rapid City Below Zero. Uh, the Kickstarter, when you go there, now, the Kickstarter itself is for Rapid City Below Zero, number five, page six. But what the cool deal is, uh, this has already been funded. Uh, there was a $100 goal, and it's at $630. Now, the reason for that is the rewards themselves as you pledge unlock new pages to the comic as you go along. So it's kind of a fun way to get involved with the comic page by page, uh, and just see how it all works. Because once you do pledge, you also get kind of a membership into an exclusive little Facebook club where you get to see everything happening. You get to see the interactions, you get to see the originals, you get to see how it all comes together. Uh, Josh is a super smart guy. He's a very talented writer. I'm absolutely in love with Rapid City. It's a very, very cool story of uh, revenge and such. So please check it out, go to Kickstarter, and get in on this crazy party. Because the way Josh is using this... Is, is I think it could be kind of the way of the future as far as uh, a lot in little bits. You know what I mean? And uh, it's a really cool idea. But either way, go check it out. Rapid City Below Zero, number five. The First Hero, Wednesday's Child. Both of these are books I've uh, been in on for a while and uh, just love. And they deserve all the, the pimping out that I can do. So uh, pimping, 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 pimping more. Now, uh, now that we've got uh, that little bit of, of pimping out of the way, let me tell you about what's going to go on this episode. I'm really, really stoked for you all to hear this episode of An Elegant Weapon. My guest this week is Mr. Kevin Boyd. If you're not familiar with the name Kevin Boyd, you probably don't live in Toronto and you're probably not in the comic book community because uh, as Mr. Aaron Broverman over at the Speech Bubble podcast would say, he is a Toronto comic book luminary. Um, basically, uh, he's the comic coordinator for Fan Expo Canada. He's also the co-founder of the Schuster Awards. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Schuster Awards, that's basically Canada's version of the Eisners that uh, they started a little while ago. And uh, it's very, very cool that they uh, honor Canadians in the industry uh, because there's a lot of us. There are tons. Uh, you know, people familiar with this show will probably be familiar with hearing me rant and rave about uh, how much talent we have in Ontario here as far as uh, Marvel and DC and such. But uh, it, it's super crazy. So uh, Kevin, uh, he's been in the shit forever. He's been uh, he's been involved since the early days, since the the legendary con wars of uh, of Toronto. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I would recommend that you go over to Speech Bubble Podcast. Uh, it's a fellow Toronto podcast by who I mentioned earlier, Mr. Uh, Aaron Broverman. 
who is a fantastic interviewer. He is an interviewer in the purest sense of the word. I had the pleasure of being on the speech bubble and just, uh, I knew it was going to be kind of weird because I was put in the hot seat where I was the one being questioned. I'm not quite used to that. I'm not really used to that anyways, because as you know, this shows more of a, a conversational situation. Um, but it's epic. It's three hours. It's three parts where Aaron just, he puts it to Kevin. I mean, he puts him under the lights and you get the history of it all. So if you've ever been interested in uh, a history lesson, say, uh, let's say Toronto Comic Community 101, go over to the Speech Bubble and listen to that three-hour epic conversation with Kevin Boyd and Aaron Broverman. It's really, really cool stuff. I learned a lot. Um, This conversation that I have with Kevin is just that. It's much more of a conversation centralized around Fan Expo uh, and con life and... uh, for me, it was very exciting. I've been going to Fan Expo for, God knows, over 10 years now. I think my first was in, like, 2002. And it's such an epic monster, Fan Expo, that there's a lot of mystery around it, you know? It's so big that it's kind of faceless. Uh, it's not a super transparent situation just because of its size and uh, the logistics that go into running something like that, right? Um, yes, Stan Kanopka, who's commenting... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to follow all your mad comments here, but you will. this will be a rerun when you're listening to it, Stan, but I'm sure knowing you, you're going to love it just as much, buddy. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, our conversation, as I just said, very fan expo uh, oriented. I wanted to get kind of get the nitty gritty. I just wanted to be able to talk to Kevin about all the, the questions and wonderments that I've had in my head uh, just as a fan and, and as an attendee. Uh, over the years and uh, he was very open he was very honest as uh, I've come to know that he is and it was an absolute pleasure it was an absolute joy I'm very very honored uh, that he sat down with me to have this conversation and I hope that you enjoy it Uh, let me think uh, if there's anything else oh yes one more thing one more very very important thing that I'm gonna start uh, making an important thing all the time around here the Toronto Comics Anthology I know you've all heard me talking about it uh, Toronto Comics, comics with an X, dot com. You can go there. You can find volumes one, two, and three, as well as the mini comic of uh, the Toronto Comics Anthology. It's incredible. Uh, so much Toronto talent uh, went into this book that it's absolutely insane. Uh, amazing stories from uh, gentlemen like uh, Howard Wong and Christopher Yao who I had the pleasure of hanging out with downtown on Saturday as they were doing a signing at the Sidekick Comic Cafe in Toronto. Uh, It's out in Leslieville. It's on uh, Queen Street. You really need to check it out. This shop is amazing. You can go uh, pick up a book, pick up a novel, whatever you want to do, play some games, have a nice cup of coffee or a nice cup of tea. And uh, it's a really cool environment, uh, especially for uh, the geek-centric like us. So I went down there, and I got to hang out with uh, Christopher Yao, Howard Wong, as I just said, and... uh, uh andrew stevenson or steven andrews whichever way you want to put it i'm tired of worrying about it dude i really am i'm tired i'm tired of it Uh, there's too many names so many names that i'm always just ah so (laughs) in that regard mr andrew stevenson stevenson andrew uh who is the lead editor uh an amazing dude and uh he's the lead editor of the toronto comics anthology so those three guys were there doing a signing so i went and hung out for the afternoon and literally kind of regretting not hitting record but it doesn't really matter because it was just an amazing afternoon of hanging out talking comics drinking tea and uh you know talking to some amazing guys Uh, these guys are super cool i hadn't met christopher and howard before i might have met christopher once or twice he seemed very familiar um 
but other than you know that we you know first chance to actually get to sit down and talk so that was super cool so go check out the sidekick ca- uh, comic and cafe if you can as well toronto comics anthology it's amazing it's amazing go get it uh the stories by howard and christopher are very very cool a night to remember and snowblind uh as well there's a very very touching story in there by uh the one and only mr sean daly um of course there's a squirrel involved um it's sean you get me only took like three or four pages how long was your little story and i was still like right here man right here uh, anyways, it's amazing, amazing stuff. So go check it out. I really hope this makes sense when it transfers to just being an audio situation because it's weird that I'm looking at myself all weird. But uh, other than that, it's uh, it's about 9 o'clock. So I think you're all going to be running off to watch Preacher. I'm liking Preacher. It's happening kind of slow. I never read the book, so I'm not familiar on what should be happening, but people are seeming to like it. And apparently it's going to pick up because things get crazy. So... Uh, we shall see. So for now, kids, it's a beautiful Sunday evening. Uh, I went to the Jays game today, and I watched the Detroit Tigers get stomped. Sorry, Detroit. Sorry, Michigan. Sorry, all my friends. But they got a thumping after that little blip yesterday. So uh, 6-1. It was a great game. Sitting in the sun, drinking beer. So here we are at 9 o'clock on a beautiful Sunday evening, uh, bringing this intro to you. So ladies and gentlemen, if you're on Facebook Live, this will be available first thing in the morning. But for those of you who are listening to it on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or Podcast Detroit or the Points of Interest Podcast Network or the Tangent Bound Podcast Network, it's all over the internet. So uh, pick your poison, give a listen in the morning. I hope you all come back. Uh, You know, this was fun. This was a fun little something to do. So all of you hanging out watching on Facebook, thank you very, very much. And for all of you listening out there in the interweb world, uh, I hope you enjoy this. Because this is my conversation with the one and only, the right honorable, Mr. Kevin Boyd. (laughs) <laughs> yeah very cool have you done many podcasts or i have yeah yeah you do one yourself don't you a movie review show i do yeah yeah uh, we do that every couple of weeks i guess okay yeah what's, what, what's that called it's called um extra features okay yeah yeah very cool it's uh it's always nice to hear uh about other podcasts in the city because it's strange with toronto but as it's as huge as it is, it it seems to be uh, really difficult to find fellow podcasters out there. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, just on a uh, at least on a scale that I seem to see other cities have, from what I've experienced. I mean, uh, I I really enjoyed your <clears throat> three hour podathon with Mister Broverman over on the oh, speech bubble there. Yeah, <laughs> that was he got me in a talking mood. I guess uh, he didn't even need to give me alcohol too. <laughs> <laughs> that's a skill that he has you know it's uh he just he can fire him off you know he's got questions till the cows come home like he just he impresses me so much with that you know yeah yeah no, he did his research he had everything ready for me too i learned so much because i mean a little while ago you were kind enough to uh friend me on facebook there and uh-huh. i i really really enjoy your facebook feed because you, <laughs> sh- you share things with such transparency you know it's it's really enjoyable to watch hmm yeah, no, I'm, I well, I like to be pretty straightforward on on how things go and how things stand, uh, as, as with all the stuff that we do, especially with the shows and stuff. That's um, unusual for Fan Expo. Fan Expo is not really 
a show that likes a lot of transparency, but but I do what I can. It's well, it's exciting. I started going to Fan Expo back. I think my first one was in two thousand two, uh-huh. and uh, I've gone every year since. So you know, I've 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 gone enough to to have seen a certain you know evolution and to see just what a epic monstrous thing that it's become. Now oh. you're just back with the con after a several year break, yes? Yeah, I uh, I concentrated. I was just an exhibitor for those years that I was off. Um, so I, I I did a convo lounge booth those those four years or three years that I didn't work for the show. You excited to be back? Yeah. Uh, yes and no. Right. Daunt, daunting task ahead. <laughs> well, now that I've got three or four shows under my belt already, because we've done MegaCon and we've done Fan Expo Dallas and Regina and some other smaller shows, it's not too bad. Uh, I just have a lot of work to do because I have the booth as well which i'm just going to leave to the staff to run and uh but i've got to get everything ready for it on my weekends and stuff yeah you're you're a busy fellow as i can attest to with those facebook posts and you've been doing quite a lot of traveling lately how was megacon was that good uh it was good aside from almost dying it was it was actually all right yeah that was a crazy little experience you had there eh? i'm glad to hear that you you pulled through it well though Oh yeah, well, I mean, by the time I posted, I was already done. I was in the hospital recovering. Good lord, that's uh, an adventure to have on a con weekend, eh? Oh, for sure. Especially, uh, well, I think it came to like 13k or something like that US, and all the bills and stuff associated with it. It's insane so. down there. I don't know. I mean, I've heard of friends down there. Uh, you know, it's cost them like forty thousand dollars just to have a baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a totally crazy thing. Um, I was lucky enough to meet, I, I can't remember her name, but I think she's the former owner of Megacon, and now she's just uh, helping out run the whole situation. Oh, okay. Uh, her, her and her mother, and uh, she's a blonde right. lady. I'm totally blanking on her name. Christine. Sorry? Uh, Christine. Yes, Christine. Uh, lovely, lovely woman. Yeah. And uh, last year at Fan Expo, it was it was such a difference than the past few years that I've been there and talked to many people in the artist alley, and it was so uplifting. This this lady was was just she was so enthusiastic to make everybody as happy and as comfortable as she possibly could, and well, it was a real nice breath of fresh air after the past few years because it I mean Fan Expo it's just so huge now it's got to be a very daunting task as we were saying to put something like that together you know to do it with such positivity it's got to be hard to maintain that yeah it is and she quit about two months later (laughs) oh really (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we were starting to put together megacon and i guess she just said uh you know what it's this is too frustrating for me because we've done this my way for so many years um and to have to try to make compromises and stuff like that it's just it's gonna drive me crazy. So she said, "So I'm I'm just gonna retire." And uh, so we hired a couple people that worked for her to come back. And and uh, one of them, Constance, is my uh, associate. She helps me book guests for MegaCon and and some of the other U.S. shows. But uh, yeah, I mean, we needed uh, we needed some continuity. And, uh, yeah, it's it's it, it has to have been a weird change because I mean you were back then in the beginning. You were there in the beginning <clears throat> during like the, the old con wars of old that you can hear about in the history of Toronto comic community lore. Yeah. And uh, you know, as things came together, finally Fan Expo 
and you helping put that together back then it was just a bunch of fans right like it was just you and other people in the industry who wanted to put something together where people could meet the artists meet their heroes have this fun experience and now you've seen it evolve over how long especially because of the internet and the movies obviously yes it's it's still the same kind of people trying to put on these events that are nowhere near like they were in the past. How has that changed for you? Well, I mean, uh, with the fan expo, there's certainly a, a corporate angle to it. Uh, they, they've definitely got uh, people behind the scenes who are handling all of the, um, the financials and the organizational side of things that, that we don't have to worry so much about. Um, for me, uh, on the comic side of things, I would just say it's, um, I mean, it hasn't changed that much. It's just a, a lot more work because with bigger budgets and bigger shows, it means more guests. It means more people contacting you, looking to join the show. Just keeps, you know, adding up and adding up. And so there's more work to do all the time, uh, more programming, more seating, all that stuff. Does it feel like Santa's workshop where once the expo's over, you kind of the next you take a week off and then start planning for next year? Well, pretty much, yeah. Well, the, I mean, the, the way things are now, though, with it, it's like a full year series of shows. So you're always like, okay, so I've got this person coming to this show. Maybe they'd like to come to this show as well. And then you try to work out a deal with them. It's just nonstop. You're always thinking, what's the next event that I have to do? And so while, you know, I'm, I'm talking about Fan Expo Canada right now, but in my head, I'm thinking about who am I inviting to Fan Expo Tampa? or I'm sorry, Megacon Tampa, I should say, or who's coming to Fan Expo Vancouver, you know, who are we going to bring to Megacon next year? So I'm already like two to three shows ahead. You know, I've submitted my programming list. I've got my my guests all sorted out for Fan Expo Canada. Um, We're just waiting to hear from Marvel and DC as to what programming they want to do. Right. It's just that kind of thing. and, And it's getting people excited, but in my head, I'm already like, okay, so what's going on in October? What's happening? And, you know, so you have to be like two shows ahead almost. It's, uh, it sounds like a lot of work, man, <laughs> for something that uh, I guess you love, though. I mean, you, you wouldn't do it if you didn't love it somewhat, right? Yeah, and well, it's something I've been doing for so long. It's second nature. There's, It was like one of those things when they let uh, the last guy go, uh, my former associate uh, there, um, it, it was like uh, who they approached to bring in to do this and there were you know they had almost no list of people that they could bring in they're like surely there are people out there but who are they who has the experience who has the background and they're like well there's kev and uh you know i've been doing this for so long i've been involved in so many shows and different events over the years that uh and i have a pretty large group of contacts and everything so i guess it just the stars aligned and i was the right person at the right time right on how much uh, how much do you have to go to bat for your comic section? Like when you're the comics coordinator for Fan Expo, does that entail everything to do with comics as far as, you know, inviting your pro guests, uh, sorting out your entire artist alley, mapping that is it every little bit of it? Not everything. So uh, I, it's mapping out the pro comic guests, sorting through the applications and seeing who will get approved and who doesn't get approved and who's on the waiting list, things like that. Working on the programming, the staffing, the signing area, uh, working with the uh, Fan Expo store, 
as far as what variants they're going to get and would I think this work or will work or not and will this artist come to the show and will he sign at the the you know for the signing uh, area at the booth uh, sorry at the fan expo store things like that but for artist alley uh I'm more like fighting for things to make things better for artist alley but I it's like a giant amorphous thing right now so I have no idea who's booked tables in artist alley yet uh, they haven't given me the list of who's who's been approved and everything, um, but just trying to sort through and all the feedback that I get from from people like creators who do Artist Alley and the things that they encounter like uh, massive displays and uh, you know problems with people uh, parachuting in with with like stolen artwork things like that. So sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's almost like running a little city, you know. You've got all these people of all different tastes and types, and they're all just trying to work together to to show off their work, you know. Exactly. Now, um, I, I like we were saying before, I I really noticed that even if it's just through the volunteers, there was so much more of a face put on to Fan Expo in the Artist Alley, as far as. I was so impressed to see a constant stream of just like the tiniest little courtesies, uh, offering water, you know, offering granola bars. You need a snack. Do you need this or that? Uh, in in my ten plus years of going to Fan Expo, never had I seen this. Yeah. And, and it it was it was such a small thing, but it it made all the artists feel so welcomed and so taken care of and so thought of, you know. And uh-huh. I I from my experience when I see Artist Alley, even if an artist hasn't had the best weekend financially they haven't told like sold tons if they've been treated well if they've been shown courtesy and a good time they usually don't come out that miserable you know yeah yeah that's true i mean uh and certainly i mean if anyone's been doing fan expo for years and years i mean generally it's okay here's your badge and then at the end of the show it's like do you want to come back you know there's no there's not a lot of interaction yeah. with staff and so forth so Last year was a bit of an anomaly because there was no coordinator for that area. So um, I, I didn't. I came on like a month later, so I was just on as an advisor at that time. So they were asking me questions like, "Who should we look after? Who, you know, who should we keep an eye on for lines and things like that?" So I would say, "Okay, well, you've got this person here on this corner. You know, Ken Lashley will have a long line, so keep an eye on where the crowds are going to go and things like that." You know, like, uh, you know, this, you know, make sure that this person is treated very well and, you know, just my general recommendations. Of course. And then, um, but they were all, you know, we had, we had people here from Dallas and from Megacon and they were all, you know, eager to sort of meet and make connections and uh, impress. And uh, Andrew uh, Moyes, the show director, said to me, you know, I really want people in Artist Alley to feel welcome and feel like they're part of the show. Uh, I think that's been neglected for the last few years. And I said, no, yeah, well, definitely I could see how it was neglected for sure. Uh, you know, we, we were back under the old hobby star days. I mean, when I worked there, um, we were we were very short staffed. Uh, we would maybe have half a dozen people working a section of 300, 400 people. Jeez. And so it was like concentrate on making sure people got to their panels on time, make sure that people got to the signing area on time. Uh, but that was about it. There wasn't much more to that. There was no rest area for the guests to go and have, have a break and 
have a drink of water or a coffee or anything like that, and we have that now. Uh, you know, there have been improvements made over the years, but so we're, we're definitely, you know, I, the other thing too is that there's so many shows out there that we want to make sure that our guests are looked after and have a positive experience. And, you know, when when we call that they'll they'll take our email or, or consider our events over maybe uh, someone else's. Well, is it a little easier now with Fan Expo being the size that it is to, to, to secure pro guests? It is. You know, when I look at a, a busy weekend like this year, there's, I think, three other comic shows on the same weekend and across North America, and they're all booking guests for it. But we didn't have any issues this year booking guests for Fan Expo. Uh, you know, we had a good, solid lineup uh, almost right away. You know, uh, you know, as soon as the Miller deal came in, in place and then... Uh, Everything else just sort of fell in and, and went very well, uh, you know, because there's a reputation. People know that we get great crowds and Toronto crowds uh, do spend money. So it's good on that that front that, that they find it's profitable and they talk among themselves as far as treatment goes. Uh, and we do take care of our guests, too, I mean, with flights and hotel and uh, meals and things like that. So it's we're in an incredibly lucky area with the cons that we have. Like I, I hear a lot of friends down South and other areas, they've got to drive an hour to find a comic shop, you know? Yeah. And around here, there are so many shows in Southern Ontario all the time. Wonderful shows, one day shows, two day shows, fan expo shows, mm -hmm. you know, Toronto comic con. And we're just spoiled rotten. Where do you, where do you think it comes from this culture? I've, I've talked with people that, about this before. I think maybe it's the education, maybe shared in college, but to have the amount of professional top tier working artists in Southern Ontario that we have, it's, mm -hmm. it's insane. Where, where do you think that comes from? Uh, good question. Uh, you know, it part of partially is we're drawing from across the country. So people are moving here from all over the place. Okay. Uh, so you've got talent who, you know, they're going to go, uh, be part of a community. So let's say someone who lives in Calgary or there's nothing there, they're going to go, well, I got friends in Toronto who have a studio. I'll go and work with them uh, and try to make a living here. It's, it's like going to Toronto. Coming to Toronto is like going to New York. Right. If you live in the U.S. You, you want to be part of this is as close as you're going to get to New York and in Canada. You know, it's a, cosmopol a cosmopolitan city with lots to do, lots of art events, uh, lots of films to see, lots of art shows, uh, the art gallery, the museum, all of these things, plus some great art colleges. Uh, you know, we've got OCAD and we've got Sheridan and we've got uh, computer animation programs, we've got Ty Templeton School, we've got Maximum Animation School. So all these all these people are coming here to study and and you know, there's so many comic fans too that gravitate towards it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and we are spoiled in the sense that Toronto has always had a per capita uh, number of comic shops that's very high. Oh, it's incredible. And and even when you stretch it out a bit to the GTA, like I'm down here in Mississauga and Clarkson, I've got maybe four or five shops within 20 minutes of me. Mm -hmm. You know, when you count Oakville and such, it's insane. There's something like 350 outlets, uh, diamond outlets in the in the greater Toronto area. Wow. I had no idea it was that many to think that we could sustain that is impressive. And that's actually, I think that's going through the golden horseshoe. So that's all the way basically from Windsor through to Ottawa. Okay. 
so 350 is is exceptional considering that some states have 10 comic shops you know or 15 comic shops so we've got 350 and there's uh there's only like uh, i think there's 700 in canada in total so almost half are here just within a couple hours driving distance wow <laughs> and then uh, everything else is kind of spread out it's fun my uh I've been going to my LCS down here since I was 13, and that would be Altered States Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Dave and Doug, those guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I love that shop so much because as as, as crazy as, th- as things have gotten and shops have gotten bigger, taken on a lot more toys and this and that, these yeah. guys are just two brothers in Clarkson with a bunch of bins of comics just slinging books. You know, yeah. it's... It, it, it's really cool. I mean, I think they're almost at 30 years. They've had that shop going now. Impressive. And yeah, and I think their secret when I've talked to them is knowing your customer base, knowing what to order. Once you perfect that, mm-hmm. uh, you can just keep going forever. Would you agree with that? I, I would. I, in fact, I when I had a shop, I, I equated the owner and manager of a comic shop as the bartenders at your local bar. So you can get to know your customers so well. You know exactly what they want to drink, exactly what they want to eat, exactly when they're going to come in. You have certain expectations of meeting their needs and being as someone to listen to and to talk shop with. And, uh, you know, like I would suggest things to my customers, but knowing what they liked and what they didn't like and what they bought in the past and so forth, I would say, hey, if you checked out this book, you know, I know you really like Batman. You know, you should be trying this one because it's kind of right in, in style with your tastes. You know, that that type yeah. of sort of making those recommendations. Absolutely. That's mm-hmm. a great analogy. And plus, even with bars, there's all, you know, sports bars, there's pubs, and that's what's nice with the comic shops. Even though I like, you know, the little the little shop slinging comics and Clarkson's, still got a bit of mustiness to it. You also got things like Gotham Central, which are almost becoming like the hub of Mississauga excitement when it comes to events and activities. And yeah. we have variety, you know. I mean, uh, Comic Connection out in Oakville, has this massive backspace for like crazy magic tournaments and stuff. And yeah, it's, it's an incredible time to be in this area, you know? Well, I, I, uh, there was a used record store on college street across from my old store. And I used to think about that shop as, as how it was like sort of a hub for the music community. And, uh, and, and shops are hubs for comic collectors and fans. It's where we go to hang out, to meet, to connect with others who share our interests Mm-hmm. And it, it's a lot more than just the store where you go and buy stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's definitely sort of a connection to your interests. And, you know, if you hate the people who, who are there and all that, you're not going to last very long in the hobby. You're going to eventually just self-destruct and say, I've, I've had enough of it all. But, you know, it's a huge part of it. I mean, I started shopping at Paradise Comics when I was, I don't know, like 20 or something like that. And, uh, I, it's hard to believe Paradise Comics has been around for for 26 or 27 years. Yeah. Uh, but you know that was the big big highlight of the week was Wednesdays. You go and you hang out, you talk comics, all that stuff. Yeah, it's great that uh, we do have those hubs. And the unique thing I've found about Toronto compared to other cities that I've got to spend a lot of time in and gotten to know their comic scenes a little bit is how we're more of a like an alien mothership type situation like you've got the core Toronto community 
you know, oh. that all meets up at your fan expo. But then the cool thing is the way the GTA has its little, you know, for back of a, lack of a better word, say clicks. You know, you got your Brampton crew, you got your Saga crew, your Oakville crew, your Oshawa crew. Yep. And with the, you know, rise of the internet and things like podcasting, I mean, it's one of the favorite reasons why I get to do this show or why I even do this show is that you get to help unify all these little different areas Mm -hmm. and you know toronto's got this trickle down but then when it all comes together everybody's still got each other's back everybody's still you know it's still a really positive vibe yeah and have you did it feel like that back in the day or was it a little harder because there wasn't as much connection because of like say the internet or fan expo size shows i mean i mean we we would have the equivalent of fan expo whatever size it was when i was a kid well, not a kid, but uh, I should say Fan Expo is only 23 or 24 years, uh, 22, I think, this year. So, um, you know, there were smaller shows, like Dragon Lady used to put on these one-day conventions in hotels downtown. And um, there was another one down at the Art Col- College of Ontario. So those were sort of your, your comic shows. And they were much smaller, you know, more of a um, like a dealer-driven show with one or two guests and... Uh, those were the highlights you you know oh there's a comic show i can go and get those issues i'm missing or fill in the holes in my collection you know that type of thing but you like as a as a collector and a fan you'd basically be riding the subway all weekend long going okay what show you know does do you think maybe silver snail might have the issues that i need or uh you know learning there's a new store out in the beaches and then taking like an hour-long subway ride and out you know getting permission from my parents to go out to some place and would buy <laughs> and something and and seeing golden age comics on the wall for the first time and and those types of things you know like um it it was kind of cool it was that, that was sort of how you meet, met people and you started to recognize faces and uh you know there were different collectors like each of the big high schools you'd have little groups of collectors that would be friends and stuff like that and then they would right sort of go from there so and then you had your old school collectors and fans and I'll never forget the first time I saw like a real classic classic comic book and uh I, I you know there was a few on in at altered states where I was going I think I started going when I was about 13 oh. and uh but they didn't have any of like the the poppers right like like the big ones and then uh, South Common Mall in uh, Mississauga here I don't know if you're familiar with it it's just on Aramos Parkway there but many, many years ago, One Million Comics was in there. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, an amazing Fantasy 15. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they had an X-Men number one. Mm-hmm. And I'll never, ever forget the moment of going in there. And they just had it in the front display case. And you, I don't even know how long I stood there and just stared at them. I couldn't believe they were right there in front of my face. Like, yeah. those were supposed to be like magical holy grails that you never come in contact with, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. So oh, I know. I, I remember when I was a kid, I, I, there was some, some, I think the sun came to our class, my, like my elementary school and they were asking kids what they wanted for Christmas. And I said, I wanted an AF 15. <laughs> I, I completely threw off the interview. They're like, what's an, AF, what's amazing fantasy 15. I'm like, well, it's the first appearance of Spider-Man. It's worth 700 in the guide. And, the, and they're like, this is like, everyone else is like, I want a doll or I want a house or whatever. Like, so somehow I ended up with like a blurb in the sun. I, I, I don't know what year this would have been, like 77, 78 or something like that. So, 
<laughs> like this blurb, like this kid is like, I want an Amazing Fantasy 15, and and and, and they had no idea what to do with that. They were just, they thought that was the funniest thing. Oh, that is. That's great, though. <laughs> people probably weren't as clued in as they are now. You know, some people might actually understand what Amazing Fantasy 15 might be, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, now with, with the movies and everything like that, I think people probably were a little bit more aware. But, yeah. It's uh, it's really nuts uh, where it's gone since you have to say 99-2000 with Blade and X-Men. Yeah. And, you know, I started going in 2002 to Fan Expo. So was it around 99, 2000? Did you see a real increase in things? Well, I think that was around the time that I started to travel more to U.S. conventions. Okay. Uh, so I would travel down with Pete from Paradise and we'd go to like Wizard Chicago and we'd go to Wizard Philly. And there was a show in New York called The National because there's no uh, big New York show at that time. Uh, so, you know, Pittsburgh was a great show. Uh, you know, we just go and we meet artists and so forth. But you'd start to see a lot more interest in statues and action figures and collectibles and variant covers and things like that. They were all starting to spring up again after, I guess, the mid to late 90s crash. Right. Uh, where everything kind of shrank again and Marvel was bankrupt and everything. Uh, but there was a real excitement. I mean, DC was rebuilding. Marvel was rebuilding. Uh, the writers were in ascendance, so people were really keen on the stories at the time. So the, it was kind of a cool thing. And then the shows just started to explode. And um, and that was where we had our frustration with Amon and uh, what, what was Fan Expo at the time, was that we felt that um, it was very focused on the hot artists of the day at the time. Right. And there was no attempt to bring or connect with the older artists, uh, other than you know you want your, your superstar older artists. But we would we wanted to see like silver and bronze age artists and writers who were uh, who would be seeing in Pittsburgh and, and and at Chicago and stuff like that. And they were asking to come up and how can I get into that show? Or I'd love to try Toronto. I remember going there years ago. That type of thing, and uh, so we we launched our own show because of that, and uh, certainly it uh, that's where the whole Con War thing started up. <laughs> so uh, that was great to hear about. I had no idea how extensive that whole situation oh, was, was, you know. But it's really cool how Fan Expo came together as far as kind of other cons, and <laughs> really they were so on the ground floor of naming themselves even Fan Expo because it's not a Comic Con. It's a yeah. fan expo in the purest sense of the word. You know, you've got what, mm -hmm. five or six different conventions in one, right? Yeah, and, and that's how they built the show. I mean, uh, um, uh, uh, Amon is, uh, has a marketing background, and he would he'd look at saying, okay, we've got a comic show. Let's build an anime show, and let's build a sci-fi show. And all these things would take place in the same place at one time, but they were all marketed separately to each of those individual fandoms. And uh, so... You know, the anime fans would be referring it to Anime Expo, or that's, or, and we'd be like, oh, the Canadian Comic Expo is on this weekend. And people would be like, no, I'm going to the Anime Expo. Well, it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, so that it kind of got to the point where you had to come up with a unifying name to, to incorporate all of the five different brands at the time. So there's like a Gaming Expo was added, and, and then Rue Morgan added their Horror Expo. So, it kind of got to the point where, you know, Fan Expo was such a natural 
extension of all five different fandom groups. Uh, and was, you know, it, it was a great brand idea, and which is, of course, why it was uh, desired by Informa, who purchased the company a few years ago. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great brand that is inst- instantly recognizable, I think. Yeah, you know, especially with all the growth. And, you know, I wasn't I, I wouldn't say I was concerned when Informa took over, but I was definitely curious as to see where this would go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there there hasn't been like a drastic change, but you can feel that there is more of a, a an attempt at a connection. Mm-hmm. It's the more personal connection with the fans. How do you I I heard you talking about this with uh with Aaron too as far as trying to balance the guests and people kind of complaining that the same guests are always there and you know valid to your point that it's it's an Ontario show of course there should be Ontario artists there especially when you know we've got the top tier that we have uh, how how do you strike that balance of bringing in new people yet keeping the same old and you know you must come to times where you're just like look I'm sorry you've done the show 5 years in a row we kind of need a break to bring someone else in does that happen well, uh, it does to a certain extent. I mean, I, I've obviously got uh, anybody who's local, who's professional, is certainly, uh, you know, the opportunity to apply for a spot is there. And uh, w- what's happened this year, of course, was that the bar moved further over as to what, what level of professional was accepted for a pro spot. Um, but, you know, when it comes to booking the guests, I, I specifically went with, uh, the mission to get faces here and new people who hadn't been here for a while, uh, which was my intent. Like the previous coordinator had a, uh, had a go-to group of guests that he brought fairly regularly. Oh yes. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I would say to him all the time, I'm like, do you think we should always have this person back every year? And he's like, Oh, they're available. And you know, and I'm not sure if it, maybe he didn't, he didn't have enough connections or he wasn't getting the interest that, that we're getting now. But, uh, and I know it used to be a fight to try to get guests, uh, to try to get, you know, new people to Canada and new people interested. You had to make people aware of what's involved with getting with the passport and, you know, crossing the border. But Americans seem to be a lot more aware I'm finding of, of what's required to do a show in Canada or in, in internationally, you know, than they were even three, four years ago. I mean, before you had to go through the whole process. Now everybody seems to know that they've got to get a passport if they don't already have one. It's uh, it's grown a lot too. I think with Calgary and Vancouver, you know, it's it's a lot less for some of them to travel to come out all the way to Toronto. And you know, it's uh, you know, I mentioned this a lot. Is there's a strange thing about my show where. <laughs> I, when I started doing this podcast like five years ago, I kind of immediately went a little international because most of my conversations were on Skype and I was talking to a lot of indie creators from all around the continent, right? Mm-hmm. And then I started going to Fan Expo and just kind of doing little interviews. I decided to try doing just with some of the indie creators, right? Just some of my friends, people I knew. And it was so much fun that uh you know i started doing that more but i have a lot of friends who are kind of around i got friends in you know philly and denver a lot in michigan so i spent a lot of time out there and (laughs) i i have this little following in michigan like you know this nice loyal little audience in michigan which you know knows the show well yet here in my hometown i'm finding i'm actually having to start paying more attention 
because there's so much more going on that, you know, I kind of neglected where I actually live, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's nice the more time I get to spend at Fan Expo and talk to these people. And, uh, yeah, it's just – it's cool. It's, it's a great opportunity. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, and definitely Toronto now is starting to uh, – the creators who live here are starting to move into hubs much more than they did before. Uh, you've got your you've got the raid hub, of course, with Francis Manipal and Ramon Perez and Marcus Toe, and, and they've got their studio. Uh, and then there's now Chapter House. I find Chapter House Publications who do the Captain Canuck books, and they're really organizing a lot of titles and a lot of creators. Um, so quite a number of people who are working with them or are connected in some way. Um, it, it was uh, I was out at C2E2 this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a, that was a great show. And there was uh, there was basically one complete side of an aisle in Artist Alley that was all raid. Yeah, I think there was nine or ten of the guys there, and it was just the coolest thing to see. You know, this is like this whole like Canadian strip. You yeah. know, Scott Hepburn and all those guys are all lined up there, and uh, you love seeing that. It was my first C two E two, so getting to go and see all these guys that I've you know know from before and have talked to, it's. It's super exciting to connect in a whole new area, you know? Mm-hmm. And from, the... their, from their perspective, too, I mean, you have a group of buddies you can travel with and promote with, and you can go to a con and say, as a block, we'd like these this number of tables. We will do this this for you. We'll, we'll, we're coming in with ideas for programming and things like that. It's great for a show promoter to, to, to work with a group like that. Yeah, just they kind of come pre-assembled, you know. Mm, it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's a cool thing. I've I've also noticed uh, that some cities are comic buying cities and some just aren't. Do you find that on your travels? I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I get a little bit of that when I I compare Toronto and Montreal. Okay. Uh, like the Montreal, the guy that runs the Montreal show, he works his butt off. He works really hard for that show. Uh, but they don't get as much of a comics group uh, of comic support. And, of course, the sales are never as strong for them as they find they are here. Uh, the audience here is looking for comics. They're hungry for material, and uh, and they have money to spend. And, and when you get to – even if you look at a show like Niagara Falls, which is not that far from Toronto, um, my dealer friends say, you know, not not the greatest show, like if you get the big money collectors out, they'll spend money with like um, Andy Greenham or or Wes Hagen or someone like that. But some of the other dealers find that I, they they're just not moving. Like they'll move lots of dollar comics, but they won't move lots of five to twenty dollar comics. Right. Yeah. Uh, it it felt kind of meh. Like it didn't feel like much excitement or you know much enthusiasm at that show. No. I, I mean, I've done that show a couple of times. I don't want to knock them because they're, they're competition. They, they put it in a good show. They do a good job of attracting guys. I just, Absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't bad, you know, in any way. I just find that there isn't anything there to create an atmosphere that makes you want to stick around and have fun. And I enjoyed the show. Like, it wasn't in any way a bad show. It was a well-ran show. Everybody was really nice. But that was kind of my review on it on the show was – there's just a little bit of a little something something that uh, wasn't quite there but as far as the the comic buy-in like like chicago chicago was absolutely insane like <laughs> everyone i talked to was just you know books were flying off their tables uh yeah. philly 
Uh, yep. People did really well in Philly. Denver, uh, the opposite. Uh, but I don't know if that was so much the crowd is uh, the art. I was there last year and the artist alley was very illustrator heavy. Not many books at all. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know, it was kind of lacking, but they, they're definitely more of a kind of media type show, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, a, that's the balance right now is uh, where, where do we fit? Like, uh, especially with Fan Expo, we're trying to, you know, we definitely have the media stuff yeah. as part of our events, but we want to make, like, I want to make sure that comics aren't lost mm-hmm. in the shuffle. That's my mission right now is just to make sure that we're, front and center and and the good thing is that since uh, you know the the original show owner is still very involved uh he sees the benefit of making sure the comics are front and center as they always have been at his events so uh well kind of the reason we came together to have this conversation is i made a bit of a mistake where i jumped the gun which kind of also shows uh the kind of you know the the tense the tension that can kind of exist at times even in our own heads when we don't realize it but it was uh when chewbacca mom uh oh yeah had the table at uh fan expo dallas yeah and you know just as a guy who likes to see the comics get bigger you know i totally did jump the gun and i was just like what the hell as did most other people because you know it's kind of that whole instant fame for nothing type thing but yeah. then, you know, you get a little bit more information, and she was a guest of Peter Mayhew. Most of the money she made was going to charity. Of course, that changes the whole situation. But that just goes to show that this is people are thinking about this, you know? Like, people oh, more and more seem to care about their comics, right? And I, and I know from uh, from dealing with my associate, James, who's trying to build the media side of things. Like, he sees the future of conventions differently than I do. Right. Like to him, the future of conventions with the way kids are from, are into social media stars and things like that is that he sees social media as a huge part of the future. So he's always looking at social media stars and how can he incorporate them into the shows and have panels on, uh, you know, YouTubing and and uh, uh, creating content, original content to to get people's attention, that type of thing. But I find that's all very. 15 minute of, of fame type of stuff so it's very um, you know of the moment so someone who's in a popular youtube star now may not be remembered in a month you know the... well it's got to be kind of built with the show you know it's kind of more that's more represented in well in kind of how inner space and like the space channel kind of you know does the big panels does the moderating has their space in a way they're the unofficial face of the convention To a a certain degree. I mean, you can't just bring in, like you say, yeah, a YouTube star here today, gone tomorrow. But at the same time as, you know, uh, you know, we've discussed before online there was how stringent the media rules are for Fan Expo. I mean, this is, you know, this is, it's a really difficult con to get into as far as small press. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. And I, you know, I've been given a million different reasons, but I can't peg it down. I mean, I was once told that it's more the guests. It's not even the expo because as far as podcasts go, they're very hard to vet, right? Like could be anybody in their basement doing anything. It's, it's very hard to, you know, really kind of sort that out, but it is possible. You know, I mean, I've, I've covered some pretty big shows. I've had press for C2E2 for Denver comic-con, you know, yeah. but, but my hometown con eludes me cause it's so big that it's hard to sort out. Right. Yeah, and they're very, uh, well, I mean, that's why we have a, 
I think we have a PR firm that vets all the applications for press credentials. So we don't necessarily even see the lists half the time. Right. They're, they're going through everything, screening and so forth. And they're given fairly specific instructions on what to do and who to accept and stuff like that. So I think, I mean, there's maybe some thought that maybe some people will come anyway. So uh, the, the, I, I know that they're very uh, strict about passes, especially for Fan Expo. Less of an issue at some of the smaller shows where you want to fill the show up. Right. But um, there's such a, a fight for space, especially on Saturday of Fan Expo. Oh, God, yeah. And, it's, and, and who you're fighting with. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a, just a little podcaster in the indie comic community who loves Star Wars, and I'm up against Space Channel, you know, YTV. Like, these are the people who are trying to get press at Fan Expo, right? Yeah. Like, CTV. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Well, even even just like they want they want space filled up with uh, paying customers, people who are going to be coming, who want to see the guests, who want to spend money at the dealers, yeah, things yeah. like that. Uh, and of course, they don't think that. Of course, people in the press are still interested and are still fans too, mm-hmm. and they'll be buying stuff and getting things from artists and so forth. But uh, it, it's it's one of those things. It's like. Um, you know, when you're when you're top of the food chain, sometimes you're a little bit too. Um, I'm trying to think of where you're, you're hoarding, I guess, or you're trying to, you're 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 not as as eager to share. Right. Then, uh, but yeah, I could see that being a problem. Like when I was doing my own show, it was like, okay, hey, we're happy with any press that wants to come in, and you know, as long as it's good press and that's that's awesome, we're we're excited. Even bad press helps too. Uh, but you know, like, uh, with something like fan expo, I guess it's just a case of there's so many people that are interested and so many people want to get in. And then there are some people that just say part of a blog to get a pass to come to the show. It's, <laughs> I was once at the table and I was just curious. So I went over to the media table one time a couple of years ago and I was just asking, you know, this is where I got a lot of that information. Talked to a lovely lady. I think her name was Susan or something, but, mm-hmm. um, the, there was a kid in front of me. A kid must have been 14 years old. Yeah. And it, he's wearing Spider-Man pajama bottoms. Huh. And like, <laughs> just just a kid. Yeah. And and he's picking up his press pass for his blog. And I'm just like, ha, ah, <laughs> yeah. are you kidding? But it, see, in a way, it doesn't matter too much for me because I'm a trench guy anyways. I mean, they're 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 pretty cool about Artist Sally interviewing because that's up to the the artists themselves. They kind yeah. of let you work that out as long as you're not interfering. Of course, there's an etiquette to the whole situation. And I've done enough real press that I know that etiquette. That's where I want to be anyways. So I'm I'm in the trenches talking to the, the, the creators. But just it's a little bit, I think, for me, just like an acceptance thing because it's a, Toronto's biggest show. And, you know, I'm kind of a Toronto podcast. I think it's more of a – I think I just keep trying every year out of that rather than that I really want to sit down and – you know, talk to whoever their giant media guests may be, you know, as, as cool as that would be. Yes. But, you know, especially Mark Hamill. I did I, not expect that, eh? Well, you know what? It had been mentioned to me four or five months ago that this was a possibility. And it all depended on when Star Wars was filming and when he'd be free. And, and I guess the plan was that they'd be free so they could go to a Star Wars celebration uh, next weekend. So... Uh, now, so he, he's available and he wants to come and 
I, I don't think we've, we haven't announced Kevin Conroy yet, but Kevin Conroy is coming. So what? that's another uh, thing for Mark is that he can be here and he can do something with Kevin Conroy on stage. Oh, my goodness. And, and they've got the Killing Joke film coming out uh, <laughs> at the end of this month. Oh, which, yeah, it's premiering at San Diego, isn't it? Yep, and I yeah. hear it's getting a, a small theatrical run in certain cities. Uh, it's they're, they're, they're promoting it that heavily. So um, I was trying to get Brian Boland to come, but I just couldn't get anywhere uh, with him as far as uh, any interest. So, oh, But that would have been cool. It would have been nice to have the three of them together. And and just just the whole round of of Batman going on. I mean, because yep. I mean, also when you include Frank Miller, yeah, and uh, Greg Capullo, yeah, which is is very very exciting. I met Greg at Fan Expo when he was here the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was such a cool dude. And I had one of those yep. magical yeah. Fan Expo moments. I was talking to David Finch at his table in Artist Alley, mm-hmm. and Jason Fabok was seated right beside him. Yep. And uh, I'm listening to someone have a conversation with David, and all I hear from over my left shoulder is, hey, Jason, I want to introduce myself. And I look over, and it's Greg Capullo, mm-hmm. and he's introducing himself to Jason Fabok for the first time. Uh-huh. And I just instantly turned around. I was like, guys, I so don't want to you know, intrude on your moment, but can I take a picture of this if you guys are meeting for the very first time? Uh-huh. And I just got to have this really cool moment where I got to take the first picture of the time Capullo met Fabok, you know? <laughs> nice, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's these sweet little magical moments uh, throughout four days that just it make it amazing. But Mark Hamill, that's 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 huge for me because, the, uh, to be honest, the Star Wars guests have been a little stagnant the past few years. There haven't, yep. there, there haven't been many, and there haven't been many that haven't been there a bunch of times, you know? Yep. So, but uh, that's going to have to be a saver-upper because uh, that's – I've never had a photo up, but that's one I would consider doing, I think. Yeah, no, I know. Like, I have, I have almost zero interest in the celebrity side of things. I've, I've never had. I don't like. I don't really care so much about meeting actors or getting photo ops or anything like that. But just when he said Mark Hamill was coming, I'm like, well, that kind of changes things a little bit. <laughs> like, like you know, Luke Skywalker was such a huge part of my childhood and growing up, and that you know, just to have him around, like any, and that he's a comic fan too, and. Uh, Ty Templeton was telling me stories about how he met him years ago and, and how they're no longer friends, but, uh, uh, which was kind of funny, but, uh, you know, like he used to hang out at comic conventions and buy back issues and he was really excited to meet creators and things like that. And then something happened along the way. And I guess he just decided he was too busy or, you know, he didn't like the atmosphere or something. Right. When was, wasn't it like mid nineties? He came out with that. Was it the black Pearl or. Yep. So yeah. it, was, it was called the Black Pearl, yeah. I'm not yeah. just thinking oh, the Black Pirates Pearl. movies. <laughs> I know. I actually think it was the Black Pearl. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember when that happened, and I was like, oh, okay, he's getting into comics now, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Well, he and Bill Mum, uh, Bill Mummy, I guess they were. They had a ongoing rivalry with their collections, and they used to go and go to conventions and do back issue buying, and then they were both doing their own comics at one point. Nice. You you once uh, owned the entire. Amazing Spider-Man collection, did you not? Yeah, I had a full run, uh, except for AF-15. It was the only book I didn't get. That's that's always exciting stuff. I have a friend out in Hamilton, and his name is Sean Nixon. And mm-hmm. a few of the artists know him kind of personally. And he's not known in any way. He's not like social media in any way. But he's he's pretty much 
collected long enough now that he's almost could consider himself an art dealer. He's got such amazing pieces, right? And he has an entire run of X-Men. Mm-hmm. Uncanny X-Men. And, you know, he, he lets me down into his basement and I just stand there in awe looking at this, you know, these these beautifully made shelves. And he's got four copies of number one, three of which he keeps in a vault. And one's there with the uh, with the collection. But just to, like, you could sit there and stare at it for hours. Like, there's so much history, so many people involved with a collection like that. Like, and it wasn't difficult to sell it off? My collection? Yeah. Uh, no. And, and partially because of uh, doing so many shows and... Uh, well, for for seven years, I, I worked at the CGC booth at shows. And so you start to see back issues as differently. You have a different perspective on them. They're, they become commodities as opposed to stories that you love. And so I started to look at my back issue collection as, like, I, 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 I don't know. I just had a different approach to the way I wanted to read my comics. And I prefer reading them in book format. I, re- I prefer Marvel Masterworks. I prefer uh, omnibuses. I prefer absolutes and things like that. Just the the best presentation of the material. And so having uh, you know a Spider-Man one didn't matter as much to me. You know, I'd rather have the money. Yeah. No, I'm starting to hear you. Like it's getting to that point, especially with the change. Like uh, like a book like Saga, right? Yeah. Like, like I don't know anybody who collects the single issues. No. You know, everyone I know buys the trades for that book, right? So, no, that's uh, – I always, I always talk about how Vertigo used to train people to wait for the trade, and Image has set up a whole system that is completely the new uh, the new Vertigo, right. uh, which is basically uh, – first issue comes out, and people want to see the first issue to decide whether or not they want to read it and trade six months later. So they'll come in, they'll try the first issue, and they'll say, that was really good, put me down for the trade when it comes out. And that would be it. You know, you, you wouldn't sell the second or third issue at all. Right. And then your orders would be down to nothing. But as soon as that trade came out, you're oh. selling as many copies of the trade as you sold as of, of the first issue. Right. It's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm definitely going that way for sure. Especially, like... Like, as much as I'm, I'm a little weird, and there was a lot of things I really liked about the new Fifty Two, and you know, I understand a lot of the things that didn't work, but yeah. uh, you know, uh, I'm, I've kind of, I'm laying off now that it's over, yeah. And the only title I'm sticking with is Batman right now, yeah. And I'm just, I'm, I'm surprised at how comfortable I am with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't like the new Fifty Two that much. I did like Batman, and I liked. Uh, Tomasi's Batman and Robin a lot. Right, yeah. Those were my two titles that I stuck with through the years. I mean, I did read Justice League and a couple other things. But, um, you know, I thought I'm going to – I've been down on DC for the last few years as a retailer because the books weren't selling. Right. Uh, People were not happy with the direction of the books. They were not – people were just dropping them. And uh, as a retailer, I want a strong DC. I want – DC to be doing as well as Marvel because that means I've got two companies that are selling really well. So when one of them suddenly drops and is selling like 30% of what it used to sell, I, I notice it. I feel that as a retailer. 
so I was very critical of DC and what they were doing. And I thought that they were doing a lot of things that were driving away re readers as opposed to keeping them. And so I said, all right, if you're going to try this with the uh, Rebirth, I will read all the Rebirth specials and see if they're if I like them or not. And I've, so far, I've been impressed. I, I you know, there have been a lot of good ones. Uh, there have been a few stinkers, but Batman has been great, and uh, Superman has been a great read so far. Green Arrow has been really good. Uh, the Justice League Rebirth that came out this week, I really enjoyed. Uh, yeah, it's 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 exciting times. Like I don't mind these switch ups. I mean, the internet makes it into such a strange deal, but I mean, they did the new Fifty Two for a few years. If you didn't like it, it's over. We're on to the next thing, you know. I mean, this is decades and decades of stories to come. Hopefully, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and Tom King is just killing it with Batman. I mean, the first two issues have been great so far. So I'm I'm curious to see where he's going to take it. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a bright future, but I that that Capullo Snyder run like that's if if the new Fifty Two was worth anything, it was at least worth us getting that, you know? Yeah, because that was that was just something so special. That's gonna live on. That's like an Adams O'Neill. You're gonna hear Capullo Snyder forever. Like, yeah, I'd agree with you on that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool stuff. Now, there's one thing I want to ask you about before I forget. One last thing that was on my mind about the Expo and Artists Alley is I I I never really thought too much into it because it's just you think, okay, the actual physical logistics of Artists Alley and the amount of people pouring in there over four days, you just, you know, two o'clock on a Saturday, you're not going to move much. That's just how it is, you know, accept it sort of thing. Yeah. And I started seeing some other cons and kind of realizing, and it made me start thinking, it's very tight at Fan Expo for the amount of people in there. And most of the times in the past when I've thought to myself, Fan Expo needs to do something like, oh, they better start using that second building. And the next year or two, they started using the second building. So I know people are paying attention. Do you think there's any chance in the future of maybe trying a little bit different floor plan, plan, at least with the aisle between the artists and, you know, the, you know, the, the indie artist tables? Well, I think we're, we're using the same floor plan as last year again, which is sort of we're off to the left in the South building. Uh, so if you go down the escalators, you go in and then to the left, it's all on that back wall. The signing area is near the food court again. Um, there are certain things like change is sometimes difficult to make happen on certain levels. Uh, I finally got them to agree that we need to put uh, floor maps out, out so that people can figure out where they are and what's around them. Absolutely. So, you know, when you go to, well, you've been to C2E2, so you know Pop does this. Mm -hmm. They put giant signs every so often and say, you are here. Mm -hmm. These are the artists near where you are. And this is if you need to find somebody, go alphabetically and look them up. And you know that they're at this section. You look at the corresponding map and you go, oh, I want to see uh, Dale Keown. He is here at this table. Okay, I'm, I'm, and he's over there and to the right. So I can at least sort of make my way over to where he is. Because right. so many people, you look at that little tiny map in the booklet, you need a magnifying glass to read it. it it's just not conducive to helping find people and and you know they're like oh we have that program book i'm like yeah i know but you know having a physical map or signage on this you know 
there's the other thing is too is that there's no signage on the tables in Artist Alley to tell you what number you're at. Right. Yeah. So, it's total free for all. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're going to try to go in before the show and at least write on the white plastic covering on each table the number. So it's there at the the front and on the left. So you know, okay, this is AA123. Right. Uh, so at least you can sort of get your bearings. People will probably end up covering that up, unfortunately, with, with their stuff, but uh, as is their right. Uh, but we are doing things in, in Artist Alley differently this year. Uh, you know, we are enforcing our display guidelines, I think, for the first time ever. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be very interesting. And I know that some people are going to be happy about it, too. I know that this is the thing. But so, you've had – they've had fair warning. Like if even I know about it, they should know about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing is I, 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 I put it out there. I said, listen, we are enforcing this. you got to be aware that this is going to happen. Um, they're, you know, getting attention for Fan Expo on some of the comic news sites is difficult. So when we do something, like no one talks about it. Like Heidi doesn't talk about it on the beach or Rich Johnson doesn't necessarily talk about it. He'll talk about an artist at our show who's ripping somebody else off and, and something like that. But he won't talk about, oh, okay, you know what? Fan Expo was enforcing display guidelines. I, I think that's big news. Yeah. Uh, because other shows haven't been. And if you go to some shows, you see, like, you know, the people have got, like, 15-foot displays behind their table with giant sketch. And it's just overwhelming, and, and it drowns out everybody else. Like, um, it really hit home for me in March where some of the people in Artist Alley, like Phil McClory and Brian Anthony, were going to me and saying, hey, you know what? We follow the guidelines that you give us. And why do these guys have 15-foot displays and sidewalls and things like that? I, we couldn't even – we didn't get light on our table because these things were just drowning us out. <laughs> I said, you know, you're absolutely right. So I went and I said, you know, why aren't we enforcing the guidelines that we set? Like, we set them for various reasons for – some of some are for fire. Some are for just fairness of display. Sure. Uh, you know, some are. So we're not like artist alley should be about displaying artwork and crafts and whatever else. It shouldn't be about churning out t-shirts, endless number of t-shirts and jewelry and things like that. That to me is a vendor table. Uh, now we're we're still of course discussing what qualifies as a vendor and an artist. That's yeah. an ongoing debate, but. At least I got them to say, hey, you know what? We do have to worry about display guidelines. And it was so nice at Dallas. Like, you could see across the room there weren't these giant displays blocking your field of view. Uh, and it looked so much more civilized and interesting. Because mm -hmm. basically you walk by a table and you could see the name of the artist that they had a back display. Uh, and you could see what they were about. And it wasn't like your it wasn't your eye wasn't drawn to the person five aisles over with the giant Spider-Man head staring down at you, you know, or whatever <laughs> that the, they shouldn't be using anyways, probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's that's something that's a whole other debate, and yeah. we're not we're not gonna get involved with that. All we just say is like you should be aware of the legalities of what you're doing, mm -hmm. uh, and if you aren't, you know, there are places that you can investigate find out i mean uh as professional art like someone said oh this means professional artists can't do sketches and 
do prints and things like that. And it's like, no, not at all. I mean, the companies are fine with people doing sketches. The, to them, it's training. Like uh, the, the sense I get from talking to my the reps from the various publishers is that they don't mind if people are drawing Spider-Man and making money doing sketches of Spider-Man because the more they do, the better they get at it. And then maybe they get hired to work on Spider-Man because they're right. going to be Spider-Man artists forever. Totally. Or like Superman the, or Batman. Yeah, like the Stegmans of the world who just put enough of their work on the internet that they hired them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you get... But the print stuff, it, it gets a little bit more complicated because it's publishing. And they can't endorse that in any way. But if it's someone who works for them, like Stegman now, like they'll print, they'll do the prints for him. They'll yeah. ensure that there's quality. Yeah. They're of a certain quality. Like I was talking to uh, John Tyler Christopher who's coming up, and he's the guy that does all those Star Wars action figure variants. Yeah. So he has all his, his prints are all done by Marvel now. And he's excited. He's like, well, it takes a lot of the stress out of me. I don't have to worry about finding and printing and, and, you know, looking at paper quality and stuff like that. I just send the images to Marvel and they ship the prints to me or they send them to my hotel and I'm ready to go. Nice. Uh, Everything's taken care of beautifully. Exactly. And then Marvel ensures that they have a certain level of quality for the prints that are out there, too. <clears throat> it's it's nice when things are set up so well because I'm looking forward to these new guidelines being enforced because I mean, what I've considered to be the finest artist alley of my years of going to all the comic cons I've gone to I think the best example I've seen so far was C2E2 this year mm-hmm. and just as you said it was so laid out you were here signs giant wide aisles like even at two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, you could at least keep shuffling. Like, you know, you could at least move at moments, but it was, it was so brilliantly set up. And as the debate rages on, they went ahead and separated artisans from artists. Yeah. And there were no artisans at all. It was just the aisle after aisle of comic book artists. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's something I was arguing for long before I came back. I just, I I think artisans and artists need to be separated, but we're not uh, equipped to do that at this point. So it would take us, so maybe next year we could have something. And I do think it's more marketable to say, Hey, be part of this fringe beats or something like that, where you, it's like a craft festival. Like, and then the people who are interested in the crafts will go right there. While the people who are interested in Artist Alley and meeting comic book artists and people are creating their own thing. And I think they'll go to that area. I think it just helps as far as drawing attention. You know, a great example of that helping in a, in a bit of a different way was, uh, but I do the panel and moderation stuff for the Great Philadelphia Comic Con. And they are extremely cosplay friendly. But what they do is set up an entire corner of the place is called Cosplay Corner. Yeah. And it's go hang out there. And that one spot is where everybody's taking pictures and having a good time. Kind of like the lobby has become at Fan Expo. Yeah. Under the escalator there, kind of in the one area where they kind of, it's just, you know, known to kind of congregate there. It's an easy place to be out of the way and take pictures. I would love to see something like that more, you know, adopted by other shows. Because certain things, like like it's really bad at Motor City Comic Con. Yeah. Uh, as much as that is that show is near and dear to my heart, I absolutely love that show but 
the the cost plays out of control. Like you cannot move two feet on a Saturday without someone taking a picture. And yeah, there should be a spot for that. You know? <laughs> no, I know. I, I always said, I thought that we should have volunteers moving people along to say, hey, listen, take your picture, but maybe don't block the aisle. Like keep just be more aware. Uh, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I hate San Diego is you can't walk five feet without someone stopping to take a picture or right pivoting to stare at something and then everybody behind does the uh the penguin stop where we all bump into one another uh, <laughs> it's really awful I, I i it was like the the real walking daddy was walking the aisles of san diego <laughs> was that kind of that lumbering shuffle where you don't yeah yeah, yeah i can't i can't do it anymore it's uh that time of the day, like, but one o'clock to three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, you're gonna find me over at Steam Whistle, you know. Yeah. You just, uh, but you know, it's also nice that there is those options in a city like Toronto. Like, uh, I call it Manga Park across the street there at Steam Whistle. It's just where all the Japanime like cosplay kids go. Oh yeah. And they yeah. congregate in these giant, you know, groups, these amoebas, and. Uh, Mm-hmm. You know, it's just fun that the whole city's a buzz. You know, it's uh, like we're saying, we're lucky to live in such a, a cool place with such a giant event. Which, Kevin, I have to thank you so much uh, for taking the time to do this because, you know, it's always been a big mystery to me. You know, oh. there's many mysteries of Fan Expo. And, you know, for you to just kind of give oh, us. Oh, sir, a I'm listening. Oh. oh. You still there? Ah, oh, come on. Just about to close her out. Still here. <laughs> you still there? <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I was just saying, I, I really appreciate because you know it's, you know, it's been such an adventure going to Fan Expo over the years. Yet it's such a big monstrous entity that you know there's a lot of mystery to it and a lot of you know, you know, secrets and stuff. And it's just to have a little inside look and to know that there's somebody actually behind the expo who does care, who who you know is there for the comics, is there for the creators, is there to kind of go to bat and take care of them. Is uh, it's a really really reassuring thing. So I wish you a huge amount of luck with this year's show, man. Thank you very much. And yeah, I hope to we'll meet up in person hopefully at the show this year. Oh, we definitely will. We ought to shake hands and do that up. And uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think I'm looking more forward to this fan expo than I have in in a good chunk of years. And uh, you know, just to know that you guys are are putting a, a lot of love into it is fantastic. So you know, thank you and good luck, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jason. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, no problem at all. Anytime. Uh, that's all we're gonna have this week on an elegant weapon, kids. Take it easy.